Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 112 of Yukon 360, which, of course, is the only podcast known to science that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. I am your facilitator of sorts, coming to you today from beautiful stores, Connecticut, in the Lakeside Building. Hi, my name is Tom Breen, and joining me as always is my co-host, Julie Bartuka. Julie, how are you? I'm doing great. It's a really beautiful day on campus today. It is. Today. It's a beautiful fall day as we're recording this. It is. I was actually very happy that it wasn't like Monday pouring rain, like yesterday, really cloudy and gross. So yeah. it was sunny and not warm, but you know, crisp fall weather. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely and, here on campus. And as we're recording this today is the first day that a new flavor of ice cream is available at the dairy bar made by a student. <laughs> Ooh. It's got like a name, like a snazzy marking name that I forget, but it's basically just coffee ice cream with Nutella and Ooh. some kind of wafer crushed up in it. Okay, sounds really that good. that sounds delicious. But aside from new ice cream flavors, there's some <laughs> other exciting news happening. Well, I was excited to see this. So UConn was recognized on the national stage for the strength of its learning communities program, which helps students transition to a university setting by connecting them with faculty, staff, and student leaders in various affinities and identities. U.S. News and World Report for the past four years, it looks like, has been ranking schools with learning communities, and they released their annual rankings, and UConn was number 25 among all public institutions with such programs. Institutions can only be considered if they receive 10 or more nominations from presidents, provosts, and admissions deans at peer institutions. So this is a recognition by our peers, which is very nice. UConn has 34 residential and non-residential learning communities with more than 2,800 student participants who are joined by common academic majors, cultural identities, social pursuits, and interdisciplinary interests. They run the gamut. There's all different kinds of learning communities. And this year, the newest one at Stores is a residential learning community called B-Soul House. And B-Soul stands for Black Sisters Optimizing Unity and Leadership. So very cool to get that recognition. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure when you'll be hearing this. But I assume next week. Next week. Yeah. But early October. For those of you who are fans of UConn basketball, October thirteenth is the date of what we used to call Midnight Madness. Mm, but now yes. we call first night. First night. And it's always a special one, but this one is particularly special because this October thirteenth, the men's team will be getting their national championship rings. Oh, oh, that's when they're doing it. Yeah. That's cool. The championship banner will be raised on the first home game okay. of the season, but the rings will be. It weirdly feels like so long ago that that. Yeah, championship happened. it was like six months ago, but yeah. it's just so much has happened. Right. That's awesome, though. It's funny when the magazine, you all, I think, know, if you're listening to this, that we did those cool five covers, and there was a whole thing about the one with the five rings on it because we had to fake the fifth ring because we couldn't have right. the fifth ring didn't <laughs> since it, it didn't exist yet, and we didn't want to ruin you know, what it looked like for everybody. So yeah. we will reveal on October 13th. That's exciting. First night is cool. I always remember... Enjoying that. And it's it's interesting, the rebranding that has really stuck. First night has become, thing. Yeah. you know, things always have like a little carryover. Yep. I remember when I was a student, it was still sort of, we still called it Midnight Madness, even though it wasn't and da, yep. da, da, da. But yeah. Yeah. Exciting. So we were talking about fall and mm. it's a beautiful fall day. Yes. And some of the exciting fall things happening. What is more quintessentially New England in the fall than apple picking? Nothing. I nothing. think nothing. And you used to be able to do that right here in stores, Connecticut, at UConn. But for a while, that has not been possible. We have not had orchards in a while. No. Nope. That's about to change. Um, something I actually don't think we've covered on Tom's History Corner. We've, we've come close. We've gotten near it. But the university used to have 
abundant fruit orchards long ago in the area of campus where Gample is today. And then later, as UConn became more built up, there was something called the Cold Spring Orchard off campus. And the orchard was closed down years ago, and we're going to hear more about that. But today, the Plant Science Department in the College of Agriculture, Health, and Natural Resources is actually getting that all started up again. Here with us today to tell us all about those efforts is Evan Lentz, who's an assistant extension educator of fruit production and integrated pest management. Evan graduated from UConn in 2022 with his master's in plant science and before that earned his bachelor's degree here in sustainable plant and soil systems. And his research combines traditional production, integrated pest management, and precision agricultural technology to help out Connecticut's commercial fruit growers. Welcome, Evan, to the well-oiled machine that is Yukon 360. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Glad to be here. So you have a long history of farming in your family, I've heard. Can you tell us how you've come to Yukon to come help us establish some fruit orchards? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, kind of a disjointed story. But my grandparents, they owned a farm and nursery in Middlefield, Connecticut, that used to be called Parati's. It's still open now. It's under new owners, Country Flower Farms. But they primarily did bedding annuals, vegetables, and things like that. So, you know, my mom and uncles all grew up on a farm. So that was kind of really just part of my upbringing, being close to nature or at least being aware of where your food comes from and and things like that. And that's been kind of a roundabout journey to get to agriculture myself for a career. I think right out of high school, I went to four or five different universities and colleges had four or five different majors and nothing really stuck. I just decided to take a break for a while. And I ended up at this job at a retail nursery one year. Really liked the vibe just being surrounded by plants. And you're hard-pressed to find someone who's upset coming into (laughs) a nursery or or, or buying flowers and things like that. Um, Yeah, and then I thought about, uh, hey, maybe I'll go do UConn's Master Gardener program just to learn more about plants and, you know, how to care for them. And when I was considering that, I was also considering going back to school again to try to get a degree. And I thought, hey, if I'm going to be going to do this Master Gardener program anyways at UConn, why not just see what the College of Ag has to offer and ended up settling on the sustainable plant and soil systems major in the plant science department. It was really appealing because it was kind of this nice mix of theoretical science, but then some really applied hands-on learning, which is what I was looking for. So yeah, I came to finish my undergrad here in 2017 in the fall, did that for about two years and then continued on and did my, my master's here and then also got a college teaching certification through the education school here. So how I ended up with, with fruit, uh, <laughs> I was interested in plants. Like I said, there was some history there, but you know, fruit never really stood out to me. I guess it was through one of the classes that's taught by Dr. Jerry Berkowitz. It's an organic and sustainable vegetable production course. His lab component to that class was weekly field trips where we take students to see different types of agricultural operations. It could be a fruit farm or a vegetable farm or even kind of like a a distillery or things like that. So anyways, ended up at this farm called Raspberry Knoll in North Wyndham. And that farm was run by Mary Conklin, who was actually my predecessor in this exact position. Oh, wow. Yep. And 
she kind of just threw it out to the class that, hey, I have opportunity for an internship this summer. And I said yes. And I've always kind of been a yes man. And <laughs> one thing led to another. And I ended up working for her for five years uh, during the summer and then also during the semester. Yeah, and got exposed to fruit, commercial fruit production, extension, and loved it. That's great. Yeah. It, you know, every once in a while when I look at old photos of campus, there's you can see orchards. I mean, they had orchards at different places around campus, but mm. as Julie mentioned, they've been gone for a while now. How did you find out about once there had been orchards here, and how did you start thinking maybe we should bring that back? I guess during my interview when I was giving my presentation, you know, trying to get hired – Something that, like I said, the department itself had been really good at is having that hands-on component to learning. And the fruit class that my predecessor taught, it was only introduced in the last three to four years, and it started out as a one-credit course, just trying it out. There was a really good response from students, so they bumped it up to three credits, and enrollment's been really good. Looking at that and looking to the future, trying to expand on that, in my mind, to really have an effective production-based course, you know, you should really have students trying to produce the fruit themselves or at least being able to go out there and, and learn hands-on. So, yeah, as part of my interview, I propose that there be a teaching orchard reestablished so that when we're teaching about certain things in the classroom, we can go out to the farm or the orchard and actually see these things in real life. And... It was then in my, my offer letter from the college, you know, there was actually a line in it about reestablishing this orchard. <laughs> so, You're like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're really holding me to that. But it's a really great idea, and there's been a lot of great support from my department head and the deans as well, something that they'd really like to see. And then through kind of proposing that and just talking to people in the department, yeah, you just kind of realize that, you know, there was this extensive orchard in the past, and we used to have different fruit classes that taught students how to grow fruit. There were multiple faculty members that were carrying out research, you know, peaches and, and apples and things like that. So, yeah, and I, I guess just through digging and talking to different faculty members, retired faculty members as well, the history kind of revealed itself to be this really rich, in-depth history with strong ties to the community, and the more you learn about it, the more it's unfortunate that, you know, there was kind of a break. I think we're all ready to have it back. When did it close? So from what I can tell, it was around the year 2000 when the last trees were taken out, and it was kind of all shut down, and that was kind of just due to I guess it was a general shift in interest, not only in students, but maybe the state and the faculty members away from fruit towards some more agronomic crops or maybe even turf grass and things like that. And what were the things, some of the things you've heard, Angie, who worked on a video with you, told us that you've heard some real stories of people being really upset about the fruit orchards going away and having <laughs> some real memories and connection to that. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, yeah. So I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Berkowitz, who I mentioned before. So he was department head for a little while, and he just happened to be department head during that transition period of the orchard being shut down. And he recalls there being some pretty passionate people, you know, some were quite upset with him or maybe not with him, but just the decision for it to be shut down. 
at the same time, people were kind of reminiscing as well, saying, hey, I remember when I used to come with my grandparents to Yukon to buy these apples. We used to have a location. I mean, the building's still there, but it's right next to Gamble, where they actually used to sell the apples and they were available to the public. Yeah, it's the University of Events is in there now. And when I was a student here, people still called it the Apple Sales Building, even though <laughs> it had stopped. It was just like the name had just One stayed on the yeah. building. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. I mean, Yukon has an extensive history of, of agriculture and, yeah, just the way that certain things are referred to or, you know, you see horticulture over, I think it's Gully Hall, which mm-hmm. is where the, the president's office and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's neat to hear that. What goes into planting an orchard? It's not just, you know, planting trees, right? I mean, there's a whole mm. lot of, of preparation that you have to do before you can even start planting, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess, yeah, you want to have a solid plan. One of the first things that comes to mind is trying to fund the orchard itself. So trying to find uh, a place to draw some funds, that's definitely a challenge. But as far as planning the orchard, I've had conversations with my department head, Dr. Sidney Everhart, about all of the different things that we could do. So we really want it to be highly diversified. So everything from tree fruit, uh, peaches, apples, pears, cherries, but also smaller fruits, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, and then also some more kind of novel fruit crops that people don't know about. So aronia, kiwi berry, sea berry, honey berry, kind of all these new interesting things, but also looking at things like cider apples or wine grapes. And yeah, so where do you begin with planning that? I guess the first step that we've taken is to bring on a land evaluation expert. So we have this really nice location at the research farm now. It is, I guess, what they call the back six, and it's six acres. It's three two-acre fields. So we just want to figure out what can go where. And so we've had um, Kip Kolsinskis come out, and he did a land evaluation. And we're also looking at the web soil survey. So just getting information about uh, what's going on under the surface, um, as well as what might go where. So that's kind of where we are in the planning process right now. It's just getting kind of more information about the site. And then I think in the next couple of months, we'll start looking at what it is we might actually want to put in the ground and how much of each type of crop. But yeah, it's it's certainly a process. <laughs> and then what is the hope for what's going to go on there? I know when you I was reading about when it closed, it was kind of a lot of the research part and the education part had kind of fallen away and it just became fruit mm-hmm. sales. This is going to be pretty robust, you hope, right? Yeah, so uh, like, like you mentioned, towards the end of the Cold Spring Orchard, it was an extensive orchard, but it was really run kind of like a commercial orchard just to produce food to be sold on campus, uh, which is fantastic, but you're really missing out on a lot of opportunity. So UConn is a land-grant university. It has that tripartite mission, so we're looking at teaching, research, and extension. Something like this has the potential to satisfy and support all three of those goals of the university. So like I mentioned, right now in the books, we have a small fruit production course. We're hoping to get a tree fruit production course and perhaps a fruit IPM course developed as well in the coming years. So being able to have the students go out there either during semester or during the summer So the thing about the growing season is it often falls outside of the school year. 
So, you know, some things that we could propose is either a summer course or some summer long internships where students get time in the orchard and can actually get this hands-on experience. As far as research, it would just be another site of research for us. This position has done a fair amount of research in the past, but primarily that research has actually been done out in commercial fruit orchards. So it's been really nice to actually carry out the research with the stakeholders themselves because they really get exposed to the research process. Um, But sometimes you do run into issues where you have less control because Mm -hmm. these are businesses. And at the end of the day, you know, it's up to the farmer to make the decisions. So being able to have just a more controlled environment to carry out some of this research is really, really going to go a long way you know, pursuing more funding for grants and things like that, potentially supporting another faculty position as well. And then if we look at extension, just having a site for demonstrations. Right now we have some extension events that happen at various locations, usually a farm or some sort of conference center and things like that. But it really would be nice to get these stakeholders up to UConn and to just be more involved in Yukon and the Yukon Orchard and, and the whole plant science department. You know, I, I think there's a lot that they could gain from having, you know, a, a purely demonstrative orchard for some of these new and un- upcoming production practices and things like that. You also mentioned potentially dairy bar ice cream flavors too. So oh, give the yeah. people what they want. <laughs> yeah. So that's the other thing too. And I guess I failed to mention that earlier, but as part of the planning process, it's much more than just planning for the actual orchard itself. So I've been reaching out to a lot of different people in the university. The potential for collaboration with this orchard once it's up and running is huge. So yeah, you mentioned the dairy bar. It'd be great to just be able to produce um, all this fruit that then the dairy bar can use to make either existing or new fruit flavors, some of these new and upcoming fruit crops that maybe people don't know about. This would be a great way to expose them to that. So I had a meeting with some people in the engineering school, I think specifically chemical engineering department. Right now they have UConn's first brewing science course. I met with them and kind of just told them about the things that we would be growing. And we already have some ideas of things that they want to make using some of the fruit that is coming along. And then also, who else did we talk to? Nutritional Sciences Department as well. So the list is pretty big. You can think about food services as well. There's just a lot of opportunity for collaboration with this, and everyone kind of loves fruit or at (laughs) least maybe one type of fruit. So it's, you know, not a hard sell in my mind. Pretty cool. What kind of time frame are we talking about? Because obviously this takes time. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, the nature of perennial cropping systems. Usually takes a few years before you actually get any fruit. We did get a pretty nice donation this year in the form of some extra strawberry plants from Jones Family Farm. And we actually put those in the ground already. So those are set up and next year we're hoping to have some strawberries available uh, to do something with. So, yeah, things like strawberries, those have a quicker turn time. But everything else, it's a few years. And I would like to have plants in the ground next year. I would say three years would be an optimistic estimation for when we would have some 
fruit at least to do something with as far as like collaboration. But prior to that, you know, students can be learning the whole time. So one of my initiatives with this orchard is to make it a learning process. So I myself, I've never established an orchard. You know, I I haven't grown fruit extensively. So this is a learning experience for me. And I'm thinking if it's going to be a learning experience for me, why not make that available to everyone else? So every step of the way in this orchard process, we are documenting it and making videos. So Angie made a really nice video. It's going to be about the the history of the old fruit orchard, which was a fantastic introductory video. The next one is going to be that land evaluation piece that I mentioned earlier. So we're going to have Kip out and, you know, some videographers, and he's actually going to walk us through what it looks like to evaluate a piece of land and what types of things that you should be looking for. The next video will be looking at picking your plant material and how to actually plan the orchard, you know, like you were asking. So every step of the way, we're trying to make some deliverable items that we can share with both, you know, our agricultural stakeholders, but also homeowners and just the Yukon community as a whole. It's like a quintessential research university, ag university project that can just cover all those bases. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. You did mention just now for homeowners, I was wondering, while we have you here, mm-hmm. do you have like a hot tip? Like what's your favorite gardening or like for the for the everyday? I, I actually have Tom a, has apple trees. I actually have apple trees. So this whole thing was an elaborate ruse to get you here. To, <laughs> my, for Tom. Yeah, my best tip would probably be if you're looking at any type of fruit, do a little research ahead of time and make sure that you're picking a good variety or cultivar. So there's a lot of them out there that are either resistant to different pests and diseases, that's the best thing you can do to just set yourself up for success is just make sure that you have proper plant material and then beyond that would be proper site selection. So a lot of these fruit crops that need full sun, they don't like wet feet. So if you're putting them in a, in a wet field and it's a little bit shady, then they're not going to be happy. I, I imagine that the, the new orchard will have deer fencing. But for homeowners, <laughs> for homeowners that's not practical for, is there anything you can do about deer? That's, that's my arch enemy. Deer, <laughs> deer are tough. You know, aside from physically excluding them from an area, there's not much that you can do. I know there are some like deer and rabbit repellent chemicals. I don't know what those are traditionally made out of or how well they actually work. I know I was just spreading some supposedly all-natural deer repellent around my garden and um, or rabbit repellent and then the rabbits were in there the next day. So I I, I don't know. So if even you can't keep them out, that gives me hope at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total failure. Yeah. Yeah. My next door neighbor also has fruit trees and we kind of collaborate on stuff. Mm -hmm. And he he got a bag of hair from like some kind of predator of deer (laughs) and spread it everywhere. And he's like, this is going to take care of it. And like two days, the deer were back. I mean, so now we just have hair all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're very resilient. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They'll, they'll definitely get to it if they're, yeah, they're hungry yeah Yeah. the orchard will be fully deer fenced yeah so yeah it is inside so it's the the old orchards weren't deer fence and right now we have a really nice research farm and it is completely enclosed in a 10 or 12 foot deer fence so that's yeah one of my recommendations uh, for any growers if you want to start growing fruit that would probably be a great place to start is you know excluding excluding those critters yeah yeah (laughs) 
Well, thank you, Evan. The website is fruit.cahnr.ucon.edu. You can learn more about the orchards there. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this info with us. I can't wait to see the orchard take shape. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Very cool. Thank you. Well, that was great. That was great. Thanks, Evan. I can't wait until that's all ready because I think it's going to be fantastic. I know. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's going to take a while for that to pay off. But yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's great. And, and, and long overdue. So I'm really glad that Extension is doing that. Um, so I actually, you know, normally when we talk about the History Corner stuff, it's just kind of an interesting factoid or something from the yeah. past. Not really news you can use. No. That's about to change. Oh. So, you know, uh, you, you may have in your daily life, you may have something called email that you have to deal with. <laughs> you, you might, yeah. You might. <laughs> Well, as it turns out, back in November 1999, uh-huh. there was an article in the Yukon Advance about how to deal with electronic mail. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, and I thought I'd read some of the, the pointers and see if they've held up. Oh, I love this. Okay. Excellent. This was 1999? November 29th, 1999. Wow. Okay. Right around now. And actually, this was basically an interview with Kim Chambers, who at the time was the manager of the Instructional Resource Center, which I think is now the... Like CEDL? Yeah, Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. Okay. And he was at UConn for like 34 years, and he retired in 2004. But it was one of the things he did was as as this stuff became, you know, new techniques, new technology, he had to learn it himself and mm-hmm. then kind of help uh, faculty and staff and students wow. navigate it. So I just want to describe, hold on, Tom is holding a very large bound book of old copies of the Yukon Advance. Did you get this? Do you own this? Did you get this at the archives? Where did this come from? I, ha- the, I have every single issue of the Advance in my office. In because you're books. the news director? Yeah. Like, okay. Well, it, so I don't even, they were, somebody was like going to throw them out. What? Yeah, there was some. Literally history. I know, history. I mean, it's, most of it's online, but some of the more recent stuff is yeah, not. Yeah, it's not all online. Nope. Okay. Uh, um, Just wanted to set the scene because it's really a beautiful <laughs> image. Okay. So he notes, uh, Kim Chambers notes, um, people's level of expectation about responding to email is getting jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be an expectation that a phone call would be returned within 24 hours. Oh, wow. That same phenomenon is being transferred to email. The article goes on. It all adds up to quite a burden, especially because email has been added to rather than replacing other forms of communication postal mail, <laughs> phone calls, and face-to-face interaction. Well, so that's that's changed. Yeah. 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 Email's sort of like numero uno almost. When was the last messages. time you sent a letter? Like a, a physical letter? A physical letter. Only if I've like had to to cancel an account or something. Yeah. Like, like if someone made... I mean, I send cards yes, in the I mail. Yes, I send cards. I send cards. Yeah, I do that. But that's different, I guess. I send thank you notes. When I was a college student mm-hmm. in 1999, in fact, I would like write long letters to friends and mail I thought them. you were going to say to your dad, and I was like, your dad literally was like, I know, yeah, he worked that would no. be pretty funny. No. Like yeah. a, friends at other colleges and yeah. stuff, we would send letters to each other. All right, so here, here's some advice. So this is, if you have email, okay. <laughs> if you need to use email, here's some here's some pointers. Also, the the very charmingly, they use the term in-basket, because I guess inbox in basket. had not caught on oh, yet. Oh, I like that. First, you need to decide where and when you'll check your email. Oh, my God. Constantly in my sleep. (laughs) Reserve a specific time of day to check email. Oh, that's really good advice. And decide whether you'll check it at work or also from home. That's actually good advice, but I don't... very good advice. I just constantly check it. Because you have to now. You have to, yeah. Um, Also decide if you want to segregate categories of email, such as those related to work, those related to class, those related to fun. 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 That's almost like Gmail has those, like... 
Yeah. Like, uh, it automatically puts things yep. in like a social media folder, yeah, that's promotional right. folder, which yep. I just hit like a giant delete of the 3,000 marketing emails I get I every day. <laughs> I there There is nothing I do in my day that's more futile than click unsubscribe on those. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't matter. They just keep sending them. They do just keep sending yeah, them. Yeah, there's nothing. It's so frustrating. I, I mean, I'll get like, we've con- we're sorry to see you go. Mm. We've confirmed that you've nope, subscribed. No, it's fake. The next day. My husband will look at my thing and be like, how many emails do you have? And I go, no, I just go onto Gmail on my browser on a computer and I click delete all items in this folder. And it'll be like, do you want to delete all 2,362? <laughs> and I'll say yes. And that's how I manage my emails from yeah. those companies. It's frustrating. Well, and it's funny you mentioned Gmail. Because oh. the next step oh. in email is to select an email software yes. package, such as Eudora, Pegasus, oh or my. Microsoft Outlook. Okay, at least that one is. Exists. I remember that one. Pegasus, yeah. I kind of remember. Yeah. I kind of remember Eudora. I've never heard of that. I had AOL when I was a kid. Yeah. Did I, you ever have a Hotmail account? Never. Hotmail's hot- is still thing. Still a thing. It is. Yeah. Some people still have Hotmail accounts. Some people still have AOL accounts. I know. Just my dad just got rid of his like a year. No, he switched to Cox and then he switched to Gmail finally like yeah. a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. When I get an email with an AOL account, I think like, wow, wow, this person's committed. Yeah. So after you've selected your software package, each of, each of the packages, by the way, has features that will help you to manage your email, such as the ability to set up new mailboxes that act like drawers in a file cabinet. Oh, I love this. I mean, yeah. It is. It's true. Once you've set up your system, the old administrative paperwork tip, when you get a piece of paper, handle it at once, works well when translated to its electronic equivalent. I agree with that. I do, too. I don't do that, but it, when I do it, it like it works really I well. I used to be much, much better about it before things got a little out of control. And I do have – I have a very extensive folder system in my inbox for Same. my work email. And I try – I do try to deal with it immediately and at least like – put a to-do on my calendar or whatever I need to do to deal with it. But it's, yeah, it's really hard to keep up yeah. when things get hectic. The next thing is to set a personal limit for the number of messages retained in your electronic in-basket. Hmm. He suggests 20. Never have more Ugh. than 20 at the time. I, I have set... Again. Uh, it's hard. I used to have inbox zero. That was my thing. And yeah. I would I would put everything in a folder. But now I'm at like probably 300. They're not on red though. They're red. yeah. For my main inbox, if I'm below 30, I consider that zero. Yeah, that'd be great. But also, (laughs) you may want to save all your outgoing messages, often using them for future reference, taking content and cutting and pasting to a new message. Oh, oh. For this, it's helpful to choose a software package that includes word processing features. After a few months, you may want to archive the messages by transferring them to a zip disk. Oh, my. Did they not have, like, a sent mailbox back then? They had to have. I guess maybe depending on the software package yeah. you had, the email program you had. Um, these, were all, these were all paid for, right? You had to yeah. pay for your email packages. Back then, yeah. You couldn't just do a Gmail, yeah. No, that no. was one of the reasons Hotmail was such a, a big hit when because it started. Because it was free. Because it was free, yeah. Mm. And then he suggests setting up different mailboxes, which you know, yeah. you know, which is actually still good advice. And then finally, you take steps to help keep other people's email manageable. Yeah. It's a matter of etiquette, says Chambers, who is particularly alert to these issues as manager of the University Discussion List, UC Forum. God, I can only imagine. Oh, my God. I can only imagine if there's like a single yeah, listserv. Where people could just email each other yeah. all the time. Did I ever tell you my really embarrassing listserv story? No. I probably did years ago. I came back from like a two-week vacation. Maybe it was a week vacation. Anyway, I came back from vacation, and I was somehow added to some kind of undergraduate listserv, and <laughs> I hit reply 
thinking I was replying to like the administrator of the listserv right. to say, hi, please take me off of this. And it went to the entire oh. undergraduate. This was in like 20, 2016. And I got emails. I got a couple emails back telling me, one told me, my favorite one told me, please be more mindful. I was like, obviously, I just didn't know what I was doing because I'm an idiot. Be more mindful. And then I made it on the Yukon buy and sell. Oh, no. (laughs) Really embarrassing, though, to do that type of thing. But imagine, so UC Forum, it sounds almost like a chat room. It does a little bit, yeah. Or maybe it was just one of those like giant never-ending listserv i I guess i don't there's no more detail i should probably find out more like i don't know if it was just faculty staff Mm, or it was everybody in kind of a free-for-all well i remember we talk a lot about the daily digest which is for those not on campus is an email we get every day at 11 a.m that has various things it's a way to promote and that was an answer to too many mass emails when i was a student you would just get an email about everything every event promotion it would just they just sent it to everybody and that's so it's fascinating the way these things have evolved yeah so he suggests that when you respond to a message only quote that part of the message to which you're responding no you leave that's that say that saves emails from getting too you large leave that whole chain in there for later and cya uh, yeah and if you have outlook as i do on my phone it's like unreadable oh, i hate the way it the way they them. order yeah it's, yes, it's out, you have so no confusing. idea what you're responding to yep and then the final piece of advice this is actually really good advice still not sure what to do about those 500 messages in your in basket <laughs> Chambers suggests creating a false in basket, transferring all 500 of them there and deleting it to start fresh. <laughs> it's actually really good advice. I yeah, I've heard similar things like if they need me they'll follow up. So just yeah. like when you come back from vacation yeah, and you're just, just overwhelmed, t- delete. just delete it. Just delete. It's fine. It's fine. But it's it's funny that some of that stuff really does still apply. It a lot of it does and a lot of it is like, oh, if we had only listened. Yeah, right. Maybe we wouldn't be in such a it is crazy how it has just taken over the world. Oh yeah, Ugh. absolutely. So constant. It is constant, and you, especially, and you know, one thing obviously this didn't anticipate. You know, in 1999, is you know everyone is going to carry a portable computer mm-hmm. that is always going to be constantly accessible. Yeah. yeah, I do. Even some people now, I hear people set certain times to check their email, which is a very smart thing to it do, is. especially for someone like me who just has to it like is. react to everything that happens. There's actually a Dang. law in France really, that employers cannot compel employees to read or uh, email after like 6 p.m. That's or something great. Like it. It's a great idea. Thank you, Kim Chambers, for the, the advice. And yeah, I feel like I've learned something about email. Definitely. I'm just going to start deleting more messages. <laughs> if uh, you need me, don't. Don't, Yeah. Just, you know what? You can hit me up on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. It's called X. I don't know why I said whatever it's called. I know exactly what it's called. But when you go to X.com, it redirects you to Twitter.com. Yeah. And I'm not going to call them posts. They're they're tweets. They're retweets. I'm not going to. Sorry. Not to get off track, but as, as people who work in branding and marketing, like... There are few more disastrous branding decisions that oh I've seen in my, my life. Oh my god, it's crazy! Yeah, that something your product had like made its way into everyday language, and you're like, no, no, let's let's, let's change mess that. that up. It. I mean, I don't even go on it anymore. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I do. I'm addicted. I know you are. You really are. It's, I, I keep hoping he's going to charge everyone so that I'll finally You'll finally just, yeah. cut the cord. So I'm not paying a dime for no. that. Oh god, no disaster wow well this is our weekly or monthly twitter talk yeah thank you for coming to our twitter talk and thank you for listening if you do have any feedback you can send it to me on twitter i'll read it (laughs) at tj breen and then as always check out today.yukon.edu for the latest and greatest news of yukon julie is there anything you want to plug or pitch no no email me email (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, she'll definitely read it. I as, will. Yeah. Or I'll delete it. Or delete it. You don't know. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.